0: Welcome to uh, Psychology 101. We're gonna go over research methods for this uh, next module, but I wanted to take some time and kind of explain where we've been and where we're going with the class. One of the things I don't want to do is spend too much time on research methods. Um, so this is gonna be a pretty rapid module because I really think it's more important to get on uh, with the more subject-based topics in the class. and so. With that being said, I'm gonna uh, uh, turn on uh, my screen share. And so first I wanna review kind of where we're headed in the class so we all have an idea. So this is our, our, our classroom right now and I'm gonna scroll down and I'm gonna actually stop us right here um, about what, what it is we're going to be doing for the remainder of the semester. So if we click on here on the learning sections, So, where we've been is we've done the introduction to psychology and we went over the different philosophies, the different traditions and different full uh, uh, camps, as you would say, within the field of psychology. Where we are right now is on psychology and the scientific method and how psychologists go about examining um, human behavior and mental processes. And that will be the focus of the majority of the lecture today. But I also want to express what we'll be doing for the rest of the term as well. So uh, after we're done with the scientific method, we're going to start on what's the, called the biological basis of behavior and mental processes. This is where we'll go mainly over the nervous system, but we'll also include other uh, biological systems that also influence human behavior, such as a Uh, your gastrointestinal system, which has microbes that actually influence the hormonal levels in the body and can actually, uh, has over the last few years, has been associated with disorders such as depression and anxiety. We will talk about the heart and how the heart is related to uh, 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 behavior processes that the brain processes. But our majority of it will be spent on the structures of the brain, and and the names and and all those things because throughout the course, I'm gonna be throwing out different areas of the brain like the frontal cortex has to do with social reasoning and the occipital lobe has to do with hearing. And so a lot of the biological section will be based on defining the areas of the brain, the spinal cord, the peripheral nervous system so that as we continue through the course, you'll understand what those terms are and kind of be able to visualize a location. After that, we're going to go into sensations and perceptions. Uh, Sensation is the receiving of information and converting that information into an electrical impulse that the brain then can interpret. Perception is when the brain combines all of our sensations and uh, we develop an idea or a picture of what's going on in our world. And we'll talk about uh, what influences perception and what can influence sensation. We will definitely uh, please be expecting that this week, there'll be some heavy biology things because we're gonna explore the visual system, including the, the cornea of the eye. Um, we'll be exploring the olfactory systems, uh, the, the the hearing systems and the olfactory systems. So it'll be a quite a bit of biology, in this section as well as in the first one, um, because it's important to understand how our sensing organs work and, and, and then how we then use that sensation to create um, our given realities. We'll go into consciousness. Consciousness is uh, your ability to think and reason, think about the past, problem solve, um, and just be able to reflect on yourself and and your influence on the world around you um, and this area is really interesting because what we know about consciousness at this point is we know different states of consciousness such as sleep and wake we know what how substance abuse affects consciousness but what makes this an interesting topic is that we know that the brain through this electrical network creates our consciousness it creates our perceptions as you would say but the thing is, is even though we know that that's where it is, what we don't know is how it is created in the mind's eye. And I'll I'll give you an example. So when you type on your computer, right, the keyboard, or in this microphone, these are the sensing organs. And let's imagine that. So this is your auditory, and then when I'm typing, this is your tactile, right? And that information is going into uh, right now my 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 lap. okay and that laptop and then then is relaying that information to uh, make a picture of what's being typed and what's being said the problem is is that what what's required is a screen or a speaker in order for the computer to produce it's what we would call perception right where we are in the field of consciousness is we we're, we're at the computer, we're at the laptop and we're understanding the laptop, the mechanisms within the brain. But what we don't quite understand is where is the uh, speaker and where is the screen in the mind's eye? Because we don't know how those electrical impulses actually create the images we see or hear the sounds that we hear. And so that's kind of, it's kind of an interesting thing. It, it's a little bit hard to get a, a mind wrapped around it, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get in more detail then. Then the next section is human development. And this is where we'll be going over um, how people change over time. And we're going to look at three specific domains. We're going to look at cognition, which is the way we think, be, we think uh, problem solve, memory, uh, Socio-emotional—that's how we our emotional system is developed in the social, uh, cultural uh, place that we live in, and physically. So again, we'll be talking a lot about brain development and and how that changes over the lifespan. Uh, the next couple sections actually are are, are within the realm of uh, social psychology. Um, And I titled the first one humans are first social feeling beings and second thinking beings, because what we'll find is, is that the majority of I'll I'll put it in brain terms, the majority of our brain that is in charge of um, executive function uh, is surprisingly, mostly active when we're social. And there's only little parts of our frontal lobes, which are responsible for, you know, thought processes of thinking and decision-making that is actually dedicated to things like mathematics, um, logic reasoning, uh, and those things. The rest of the frontal cortex is actually dedicated to the social aspects. And uh, we'll we'll make this argument that humans are truly a social being um, and that we need each other. Then we'll get into gender, intimate relationships, and human sexuality, because this is a, a, a large part of being human, how we identify with our gender, how we, uh, those close intimate relationships we, we, we uh, have, and then human sexuality um, uh, is a very important aspect of the human experience, so we'll go through uh, these sections uh, to have a better understanding of how science uh, uh, looks at uh, gender and intimate relationships and human sexuality. Then we'll get into social cognition. Social cognition, again, I'm going back to that frontal cortical area, is our, the way we interpret our social world. And we'll get into um, The the interesting part, I think, about social cognition is when we become overloaded, we tend to make a lot of errors in our interpretations of other behaviors and and, and human conditions. And so this area will look at specifically biases we have uh, when we're viewing different people and thinking about different people within our world. Then we'll get into social obedience, compliance, conformity, prejudice, discrimination, more of the dark side of of human existence. Um, While obedience is important, there are limits to that and we'll get into those issues. We'll talk about prejudice and discrimination um, in in the guise of uh, really the United States um, uh, way of prejudice and discrimination because it does differ In the United States, we tend to discriminate based on skin color, where if you go to Canada, for example, they tend to discriminate based on language. Um, If you go to other places, uh, they discriminate based on uh, different other features of the human body. And so we'll talk a little bit about culture and how it molds the way a society discriminates. Um, But we'll go on. and it's really focused on what's going on here in the United States. And then another section that has recently been added over the last 10 years is environmental psychology. And this is the way people think about and behave towards their environment and what influences behavior change towards things like environmental causes. And we'll come to an understanding why there's still a large portion of our population who denies climate change, who denies the the things that we're doing to the earth that is really kind of destroying it. And there's, you know, there's strong cognitive wired reasons why that is, but then we have to have a discussion of, well, how do we overcome that right so. Uh, And then we'll get into how we think, learn, and remember, so this is, uh, we'll get into how to train a dog with a bell, uh, um, and pigeons, and rats, and and those types of things, and we'll try and relate it to the human condition, the one thing that, and then we'll get into memory systems, Um, and then again, this is cognition in the sense of intelligence and problem solving will be covered in this section as well. Our last section that we're going to explore is going to be abnormal psychology. And of course, in this section, we'll go over mental disorders, mental wellness, uh, mental health, those things, but we're also going to look at other deviant behaviors such as criminal behavior, uh, such as um, uh, behaviors related to trauma, uh, behaviors related to um, uh deviant behavior. So those people who sit on the fringe of a society and, and will look at that and and critique it for what it is. So that's kind of where we're headed. So I'm going to just take a 10-second a, a breather here for a minute, and I'm going to pull up our lesson for today, which is the research methods section. All right, so this section is on research methods, and uh, the point of this section is just to provide an understanding how uh, psychologists go about um, investigating behavior and mental processes. And as I begin this talk, I I wanna make it clear that all psychologists use this method, okay? Sure, experimental people, test, 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 uh, but even in applied psychology, we use this methodology to try and develop an idea of a situation and I'll give you an example. Um, These, let me back up. These are our basic objectives of of today is that we're gonna review the basic research methods, different research methods used in psychology and start to develop some research proposals, maybe some ideas of, of what they'll be. So when we talk about investigation, and I'm gonna go back to an idea here, is that when, when we look at behavior, we start with a research question. And as I said, applied and research psychologists do this. So. In the applied area, I'll look at clinical psychologies. That's people who who treat, assess and treat um, mental disorders. And in the uh, experimental psychology area, I'll use a social psychological um, investigation. So, for example, a research question when you're a clinician is, um, does this person have depression? Okay, and we'll go through the clinical one. So, a person comes in, they say they're feeling depressed. They feel they're um, uh, uh, um, doing things. So what do I do? So the research question, is this person depressed? Well, what I need to do is investigate. So in the clinical setting, the, the, the client becomes kind of what we're calling this literature review, um, where we give them a, some tests, we give them some uh, uh, interviews, uh, we, we do assessments of all, all kinds, depending on what it is, and we form a hypothesis. So let's say after doing the review of the client, I do hypothesize that I this client has depression, okay? What I then do is I implement a method to alleviate that depression. This method usually is called the treatment, the treatment that we're going to have the client do. So we're going to put the client through some treatment modality. But during that treatment modality, we're going to measure their qualitative experience. Okay, do they see their depression going down? Do they, do they start to feel the symptoms be alleviated? But we're also hopefully going to measure it as well. We're gonna give them, every time they come to our office, we'll give them a quick, uh, short back depression inventory, which is a very short eight question uh, down and dirty assessment so that I know both objectively and subjectively whether or not my client is uh, getting well. This is using a qualitative and quantitative method. This is called a mixed method. So, and then what I do is at the end, I reassess. All right, I go back to my research question. This client had depression, and then I'm gonna interview the client again. I'm gonna do more assessments to see if my method, my treatment worked, okay? So this is a clinical process. What about uh, the research process, all right? So the research process, we'll use a black pen. We start with a research question, okay? So um, uh, let's see, what is a common research question that I see from uh, the research we read? Um, the, the one that is in the, uh, the, the classroom about moral identity, Okay. Um, and and does it inf- influence a person's cheating behavior? So, in in that one in the and you'll find it in the um, the the reading section of the class, uh, which is up next, is does does activating one's identity of being moral. influence whether or not the individual will cheat or not. Okay. And that's the basis of this. And I encourage you to uh, go through that article that is posted. Identity is what my research question is. And I want to know how identity influences behavior. In this case, we're going to use our, uh, an individual's moral identity. So the investigation So I have two concepts that I have to investigate. I have to investigate whether or not identity has been explored in this way. What is identity? Um, What are the aspects of it? What is the theory behind it? And then I have to explore the psychology of morality. And then I need to make a connection logically between identity and morality because that's what's going to run my hypothesis. My hypothesis being that if one's moral identity is activated, then that will influence an individual's behavior. Now, what kind of behaviors do we believe is moral? Well, not cheating, right? So I'm gonna put C for cheating. So what we have is we have an activation of identity, which, should produce a moral behavior, which then should reduce unmoral behavior, such as cheating. Okay. So I'm going to develop a research plan. In this one, uh, um, uh, what I need to do is I need to compare at least two groups. Now, the re- now, I'm simplifying it here. The, when you read it in the, the, the module classroom, it, there's a lot more detail. He actually has six hypotheses, but I'm doing simple example right here, is what I need at least for this research is two groups. One where I activate one's moral identity and one where I don't activate their identity. So I'm gonna put a zero representing this. This is gonna become the experimental group. This is gonna become what's called the control group, okay? Then what I need to do is I need to put a research, I need to come up with a situation where a person has the opportunity to cheat. So I'm going to activate a moral identity. Uh, in this case, I believe he had someone, uh, the, the participants read about someone acting moral and virtuous. And then in his control group, uh, the, the uh, um, researcher had them read something completely unrelated to identity. I think it had something to do with the sea, uh, ocean, and ships and something like that. But then I need to put both groups in a condition where they have the opportunity to cheat, okay? So this is gonna be our C condition, cheating condition, right? This is our independent variable, meaning this is what we're going to manipulate. And we can represent that with an high, I know this might get confusing because I use that as identity. This is our dependent variable, because we believe the behaviors that are committed here are dependent upon our independent variable. Additionally, our dependent variable is what we're going to measure, okay? And then we're going to then look at the results. All right. And again, what what uh, what he found is is that when you activate someone's moral identity, they are less likely to cheat. So, hence, more identity it, when it's activated will produce the behaviors that that identity expects out of the person. Uh, but you'll you'll get more in depth uh, when you read this in the classroom. So, so but this is the basic process. Now, what I want to talk about quickly even, uh, and, and it's expressed in the um, classroom best, so I'm just gonna summarize it. this, is what is the difference between qualitative, quantitative, and mixed models? Simply put, mixed models, and I'm gonna simplify this right now because there's no other reason to, to do it, is mixed model means you do both a qualitative method and a quantitative method. And I'll explain in some conditions why you would do that but let's go on. So this interesting graph, it breaks down the difference in quantitative and qualitative um, uh, situations. When I'm doing a quantitative study, what I am wanting is the objective uh, reality of whatever it is I'm studying, okay? So I'm looking for Uh, in this case, numbers, uh, uh, objective measurement of some type. When I'm doing a qualitative method, on the other hand, what I want to know is the subjective reality of an individual. Um, I want to know your reality versus the reality of your larger group in which I'm, I'm trying to explore. So I'll give you an example of a mixed method before we go on. So when I used to do organization consulting and an organization uh, that was in crisis would call me in and they'd ask, hey, we're not sure what to do. Uh, can you help us out? Usually what I start with is a quantitative method. So usually it's in the form of a survey. Many of the times uh, surveying job satisfaction, job burnout, um, Job commitment, uh, uh, satisfaction with a whole bunch of things to try and get an understanding of that organization culture and the people that work within that organization. But that only gives me this broad picture, right? This, This kind of photo shot of what's going on. What I don't know is so I have these objective results that maybe this organization has a high rate of burnout. What I don't know. Is what is the subjective reality of those people working in an environment that is that has a high burnout rate? So at that point, I switch to a qualitative method where I'm going to go interview employees. I'm going to say, you know, based on my results, this is what I found. Can you tell me what your experience is? And then after that, again, going back to this. I'm going to implement a treatment, right? I'm gonna provide the organization with some training, uh, something, and then I'm gonna go back and re-measure to see if there were any changes in the organization's behavior. With that being said, uh, we've explained what a qualitative method is, subjective reality. Quantitative method is objective. Mixed methods is when you really need to have a strong understanding of both the objective and subjective experiences of people within a given group or within a given society. When we break down quantitative and qualitative methods, quantitative methods is is, uh, broken down into two basic categories. One is descriptive, the second is experimental. When we talk about descriptive methods, what we're talking about is just describing a given population, a given group, or a given whoever we 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 are researching. It's it's uh, means mean meaning averages and and deviation meaning how how closely do people measure with each other? Uh, it's bar graphs it's uh, uh, pie charts, it's line graphs. it's all of those things that give us a photo picture of the population that we're looking at or the variables that we measured okay um, When I use the word variable, what I'm talking about is independent and dependent variables So in this instant they are our subject matters are usually always human. whoops And uh, our independent uh, variables are what we manipulate, so this is a group, individual activation, non-group activation, and this is our measured variable, measure of cheating behavior. So when we talk about variables, that's what, what is meant. The other things that descriptive methods try to get at is whether or not variables are associated with each other. And there's three kind of main methods to do that. There are more kind of uh, out there, but the most common ones are correlation, regression, and factorial analysis. Correlation is when I just want to know if two things are associated with each other. So as one variable goes up, does the other variable go up? And vice versa, when one variable goes up, does the other variable go down? So. Um, an example of, uh, of correlation in, in, um, uh, in, in psychology is that there is a correlation between altitude and suicide rate in that the higher the altitude, the higher the suicide rate. Okay. Um. I bring this example up because when we're talking about descriptive methods, and this is very important, descriptive methods cannot determine causation. Okay, because we have this simple association as a person goes up in altitude, the risk of suicide increases right but is being on top of a mountain causing suicide or someone to be suicidal, and I will tell you, there's many other maybe causal variables. There's been uh, the hypothesis that it is uh, uh, the thinning of the air. Um, The most viable hypothesis as is if you increase in altitude, you become more and more disconnected with other human beings, and we know from uh, further research in Suicide, the most common variable in suicide, the most common variable is either human rejection, loss of a relationship, loss of a job, which includes people. And loneliness and isolation. Okay, that those, if you think about those, all of those variables are about being socially disconnected from other people. And that is one of the, the most common uh, uh, reasons people commit suicide. So the so what I'm saying is is from correlation we cannot determine causation. All we can say is that these two things are associated with each other. When we get into regression, what we want to know is does one variable predict another variable? So in this example we look at, um, you know, does the, the most common that we use in introduction to psychology classes is does study time influence, uh, scores, uh, in exams. Um, and yes, we do find that there's a correlation between the number of study hours and, and, and the score on exam. And that's an important association to keep in mind, please. Um, and we also know that study time predicts, uh, test scores using regression analysis. The nice thing about regression analysis is that I can actually take it step forward, is yes, I can say one variable predicts the other, um, but I can also determine uh, what's called the effect size. For regression, the effect size is the percentage of one variable, in this case, exam scores, are explained by another variable, in this case, study time. And in this instance, we know that test scores, 30% of test scores can be explained by the number of hours that a student studies for that exam, which is significant, right? Meaning that 30% of of what your test score is going to be is going to be totally based on sitting down with your uh, information and reading through it and, and studying it. However, the problem is, is yes, so we can time it, but what about that other 70%? What, what else is involved in study time and anything else that, it, that, that would explain the other 70% of test scores? That's regression analysis. I'm going to use fact, I'm going to leave factorial analysis out for now. I will explain it uh, when we get to uh, uh, biological psychology and social psychology because it, it's a little bit more complicated than this introductory um, uh, example. The experimental design is when we are looking for cause and effect. Okay, and this is where we just explained this experimental design in the identity versus no identity. So, we manipulated an independent variable. We had two groups. The the, the non-identity group was more likely to steal than the identity group. So, we know that a moral identity causes a change in behavior. So, And that change in behavior is the reduction in cheating behavior based uh, compared to a control group, okay? That's the experimental design. When we get to qualitative, meaning again, subjective reality, we do, there's three basic types of analysis. We do one on the individual level, the group level, and a cultural level, okay? so this may be a racial group. It may be a very specific group. Individual, of course, uh, the best uh, thing of this would be like case study where a case study is an intense uh, um, investigation into a single person. So someone's biography would be a good example of a case study. Narrative analysis is when we when we want to do a case study on someone who has passed away so we go back in newspaper archives journals uh, what other family members have written about that person and develop a notion of who that individual is and then uh, we have interview and observations this is both for the group level and the individual level where um, and these are really more techniques than they are uh, uh more like up here where these were tools, these are kind of tools that we use. So intense interviews, observation, that's common with children. And then when we get to the group and cultural level, we add what's called grounded theory. Grounded theory approach is when I take a theory, uh, let's say um, uh, um, a theory of of racial bias of some type, and so I take that theory and I go in a community of some uh, that, that, that there tends to be a lot of racial discontent. And I test that model through using interviews and observation and, and information that I collect from that community. On the cultural level, um, uh, psychology is getting into this more and more with the study of cultural psychology. But this is really a more of a sociology, sociology and anthropological approach, so I'm not going to get into it much, even though I do want you just to understand that, there, that psychology do, does do cultural analysis, analysis I apologize, uh, but it's usually com, uh, what's called comparative analysis, and that gets into more of these quantitative methods. So these are the different methods of analysis. And then when we get into, you know, we want to make sure whatever we do in the lab also maybe has a field representation, and we want to make sure it's congruent with what we observe in reality, and this, this is what, uh, what creates our situation. So much more in-depth information in the classroom, um, and, and uh, like I said, I, I like this section to go really quickly, so we'll only spend about a week on it make sure you just have the understanding of the different methods that scientists use. um, And also remember the limitations, because again, the majority of studies in the field of psychology are correlational and regressional, and we should never take that as cause and effect. We should only take that as there's relationships between variables. One of the common mistakes I see in people's interpretations of psychological data is they take a correlation and they assume that there's some kind of cause and effect between those two variables. And most of the time we're wrong. Um, So with that being said, that that ends this quick section, go through the the written material and there's a a few more audio lectures within that, and then complete the uh, end of the section quiz that will be posted uh, uh, later on.